And we'll switch now to Admiral William Fallon, who's joined on his left by Admiral Harold John Burdenson, the Chairman of the Board of the National Council on U.S. Air Relations, and it's fitting that the two be seated beside each other. Uh, because before Admiral Fallon became so intensively and extensively involved in the Arab East, uh, Admiral Bernson was twice the head of U.S. Mideast Four, and this was the American Armed Force presence showing the American flag and engaging in defense cooperation with America's friends and partners and allies in Arabia in the Gulf from the early 80s and then brought back out at the end of the 80s with the tanker war. Uh, that was a success for U.S. GCC cooperation. It uh, helped to end the Iran-Iraq war, one of the longest wars in the last century. It helped to keep the Iranian revolution from expanding to the western side of the Gulf to eastern Arabia. And along the way, another chapter was closed, namely the Cold War in terms of uh, American, Qatari, and other GCC, Saudi Arabia, Bahrain, Kuwait, the United Arab Emirates, and Oman uh, cooperating in, in that theater. Admiral Fallon is unique amongst American flag rank officers <coughs> in many ways, but he probably holds the singular niche of being head of four separate four-star commands as a flag officer. I don't know of another uh, who's held uh, that many. He was the 31st Chief of Naval Operations. He was the commander of the U.S. Fleet Forces, commander of the Pacific Command, and also commander of the United States Central Command. He's a graduate of the Naval War College and the National War College. He's the senior distinguished fellow at the Center for Naval Analyses, Admiral Fallon. Well, Dr. Anthony, thank you very much. It's uh, truly a, a great honor and pleasure to be here with you. I see many old, uh, I shouldn't use that term, shall we say, uh, long time, uh, distinguished uh, friends and colleagues in the audience. I want to uh, tell you that I think it's uh, particularly nice. Uh, Dr. Anthony, I'm not sure that you had uh, thought about this in arranging it, but maybe you did, uh, to have um, Ambassador Alvarez here from Qatar and uh, a former CENTCOM commander because, uh, as you know, uh, our forward headquarters is in uh, the state of Qatar. And I have to tell you that during my time out there, I could not have asked for a more hospitable, uh, welcoming, and helpful environment uh, than the relationship that we enjoyed uh, out in Qatar. So, Your Excellency, thank you. And uh, I'm envious, uh, frankly, to see uh, this distinguished uh, career that you've managed to carve out uh, after your life in the military. Uh, but I, uh, I salute you and your government for their wisdom in, uh, in putting you in these uh, very, very important positions. 
Uh, I also took note of the fact that there are a number of midshipmen here, and uh, being uh, well-schooled and well-trained midshipmen, uh, they got to the table first. They went to the head of the table, and notice their heads have been down uh, to make sure that they, uh, they got their meal because uh, they've got a pretty arduous uh, routine that they normally have to adhere to. I'm not sure who let them loose uh, for this event, but uh, great to see the, the mids here. Uh, many, uh, many, many distinguished dignitaries in this audience, uh, people of great experience and wisdom, uh, excellencies. I am uh, anxious to hear your questions and comments. And before I do that, I would like to just uh, give you a couple of thoughts uh, from someone who uh, spent a fair amount of time during my career uh, in the region of the Middle East, uh, dealing uh, as I was a U.S. citizen uh, with many from Arab lands on a range of issues. And I will tell you that uh, I look at, first of all, the people, and I see uh, many, many similarities with people all over the world. The vast majority of people, in my experience, really want the same things, and they act in pretty predictable ways. Uh, that's not to say that, unfortunately, everyone is a saint, uh, that they're all good. Uh, the reason we have challenges in this world are because uh, some people uh, don't get it, and they, uh, for a host of reasons, uh, will not be part of the cooperative uh, way forward, and we just have to deal with it. But they're people, like anybody else. My impressions of the region of the, of the Middle East is one of uh, immense potential, given the history, the culture, and the achievements and aspirations of the people, uh, given a, a tremendous economic necessity of life for most uh, that uh, is present in quantities that are not matched anywhere. Uh, it's very essential to the functioning of today's society. And, of course, there are many beautiful lands and places, and uh, that's all wonderful. Uh, the problem is that, in my view, there's too much friction, uh, too much strife, and, frankly, not enough trust. And uh, this is reality. And if we are going to uh, address these many issues that we have in front of us, it seems to me that the first order of business is to get serious with ourselves and to appropriately and honestly appraise the situation we find ourselves in. Goods, bads, beauty, warts, the whole thing because it's about people, and that is us and our colleagues, friends, neighbors, and families in each of these countries, in the region and the rest of the world. Uh, there is no lack of problem. I'm sure you've heard a number of them this morning, and you'll hear more. Um, I suspect it may be like the poor. There will always be issues with us. Uh, and uh, it's up to us to 
work on them if we're going to hope to make progress and fix them. This region is critically important uh, to the world, again, because of the people that inhabit it, because of the energy resources that lie underneath the ground and sea. And today, regrettably, for the presence of and consequences of some violence and turmoil, uh, which in some cases occurs ongoing and in other cases emanates uh, from this region. But today, as opposed to the recent past, I think it's different. And that's something that's another reality of life. Things change constantly. And the change we have right now, I believe, is on an upward vector with a lot of potential and a lot more potential goodness than the negative that we seem to see highlighted in the media and in many discussions about this part of the world. Particularly with the new administration and a new president in this country, there are huge expectations, are my impression, or is my impression. In fact, President Obama's speech in Cairo by not only reports that I've read and heard about, but by reports firsthand from colleagues and associates from the region who were in attendance or, or watched secondhand, now, there was uh, great enthusiasm. A couple of weeks ago, President Obama gave another address in New York, the UN General Assembly, which indicates to me that he understands these expectations. And I'd like to um, read a couple of lines of his remarks because I think they're very telling. Quote, I'm well aware of the expectations that accompany my presidency around the world. But these expectations are not about me. Rather, they're rooted, I believe, in a discontent with the status quo that has allowed us to be increasingly defined by our differences and outpaced by our problems. But they're also rooted in hope, the hope that real change is possible, and the hope that America will be a leader in bringing about such change. I think it would be pretty difficult to top that for a couple of reasons. He's got the picture, I think, perfectly. He's got a sense of the feeling out there, but also the reality that this is not going to be easy and it's going to take some work. So on the one hand, I'm concerned because I sense some pretty outsized expectations among many. A Nobel Prize. Um, potentially a down payment on future activities, uh, certainly a recognition of a strongly stated desire to move forward and to be quite fair, I think there are many, many initiatives uh, that are in work and many that have been. But I think we need to be realistic and recognize that none of this is going to be particularly easy. And in fact, 
never at a loss for negative vibrations, you can already pick up the, well, when are things going to happen? When are these changes going to be enacted? When are things going to be gloriously better? Reality would tell us that they'll get better, in my opinion, when we collectively, all of us, roll up our sleeves and get to work. But a little bit more of that in a minute. I'd like to just touch on a couple of points uh, generally. I think that the President clearly wants to help change the perceptions and, in fact, a lot of realities around the world. But he certainly can't do it alone. And I believe that the continuous, up till now, maybe we will have a, an epic change, but the finger pointing, the blame game, the when are you going to do something for me or when are you going to fix this problem, uh, if that continues in the same manner and vein, then we're not going to make the progress that I think the majority of us would really like to see. So it's really not just the people who are in these protracted conflicts, but a lot of the rest of us aid and abet these behaviors either by watching and doing nothing or by criticizing and adding no value, but in many cases just fuel on the fire of these challenges. So my message is we've got to get with the program. We've got to go do something about this. Now there's certainly lots of conflicts and my experience in life is that if you're going to solve things, you got to start. Sometimes they seem overwhelming, protracted, lots of bad history, baggage. Where could one begin? The litany of wrongs perceived by the various parties in these conflicts and disputes. You got to start by taking a bite. And you take a bite, it seems to me, often many places. Because frankly, look at all the people there are just in this room to discuss this general topic and how many millions of people are there out there that could really be doing things in their own right, uh, given the gifts and talents, experiences they have. We start taking little bites out of each of these issues. Things have a way of moving along. You got to get some momentum, but it takes courage an initiative to get started. Meanwhile, where could we start? Well, certainly for the last better part of this decade, probably the, the hottest in terms of publicity spot has been Iraq. I think the situation now is significantly changed, certainly than a couple of years ago when I handed, ended upon that scene. Uh, the fires in Iraq are banked to use a term from my youth. And I think there's great potential in this country of Iraq for help, not just for themselves, but for the entire region. Quite a change from the view three or four years ago when everything was wrong and everything was bad. At least that's the lecture I got when I visited most of the rulers and leaders in each of the countries that are represented here today. There is representative participatory 
opportunity now in this country. It's got immense energy resources that are been neglected and underutilized and under-resourced. And so the foundation of people's, the betterment of people's lives has been a feeling of security in a little different sense than the one I used to deal with, with state actors and borders and international conflicts. Uh, security, I think, today, and it's probably always been this way, I just wasn't smart enough to recognize it, is really pretty close to home. And what people want is security around their, their families, themselves. They want to have an, they have an expectation of uh, having economic resources to take care of themselves, their families, and maybe have a better future. And so that's certainly possible in Iraq. But more importantly, in Iraq, despite uh, many, many negative commentaries, in that country, there's a tradition, centuries old, of people, the same combatants in these many ethnic and tribal and, and other kinds of clashes. There's a tradition of actually getting along and working together, living together in a culture side by side. If they can get that back, then I think this place will be well on its way to being a potential anchor of stability in the region instead of the reverse, which is the case in the last decade. Afghanistan, not necessarily part of the Middle East, but certainly that series of evolving conflict in that country uh, touches us all. And it's something that's going to need, again, help from many people. And not just the usual suspects that are lined up, the U.S., NATO, the Taliban, Al-Qaeda, certainly the Afghans, but many in the neighborhood. If there's ever a place that, that is not going to get fixed without neighborhood help, it's probably Afghanistan. But there are a lot of other players in this particular contest uh, that are not residing there but have influence or could have influence, and some are exerting that influence in negative ways today. That could turn the situation. The Palestinian-Israeli conflict. Um, the standard commentary that I received when I arrived uh, on station at Central Command was, if you, if you could fix this, all these other problems would go away. I thought to myself, if I could fix this, I'd be a pretty happy camper and uh, probably retire on the spot. That's not realistic. Uh, let me share an anecdote with you. I was at a forum in Doha a couple of years ago and part of a panel. And one of the members of the panel, um, who was a Palestinian, uh, got my attention and when he said, you know, we've had a lot of discussion during this forum about the U.S. doing this and the U.S. doing that. And he looked at me and he said, I know that the U.S. can't fix this situation in the Levant. We have to fix it. We Palestinians and we Israelis. You can help, but you can't fix it. And I said to myself, now there's a guy that gets it. 
happy to help. What can we do? So along those lines, President Obama has one of the world's foremost facilitators, helpers, get it done men in Senator George Mitchell working this problem. It was my great honor and privilege to uh, be in Israel uh, with Senator Mitchell late last year as he surveyed this situation. In my assessment, if there's anybody in the world that has a shot at helping to facilitate the real fixers, it's Senator Mitchell. And we certainly wish him the best in that. How about Iran? I think you had a little discussion about it today. Uh, from the inputs that I received, certainly while I was out, out there as the commander, it's, uh, this is the biggest thorn in our side. Or at least that seemed to be the common refrain uh, from the region. It's a country that in recent years has managed to alienate the neighbors uh, across the breakers with most of the world and basically uh, at risk not only for the providing risk not only to the region, but actually if the leaders in that country would honestly assess themselves, I think they'd recognize they're, they're bringing a lot of risk onto themselves in their own regime. Points to remember, it's a large country with a large population that has quite a storied history, as do many other countries in the region. And they want influence. They want a seat at the table. In fact, they'd like a big seat near the head of the table, I suspect. All right. Fair enough. But what about current roles and behaviors? What have you been doing to merit the kind of consideration, the kind of deference that it seems that they would like? And the answer is, certainly from my view, not a lot of good, instigating lots of trouble, lots of problems. Okay? So let's think about this. Why? Might help to recall that this is really a revolutionary government. What does that mean? It means that, from my experience, a little memory, most revolutionaries aren't particularly nice, gentle, kind people. They want change, and they want it right now, and in many cases, they don't care what the cost is, they want the change. We've been dealing with that, and we have to deal with that reality, it seems to me. This leads to zealotry and extremism, and that certainly seems to be not only occurring within that country, but it's been exported, Iraq, Afghanistan, Lebanon, Gaza. So how do you deal with something like this? Understand it to the best of our ability. Where did the regime come from? Why did it come about? Okay, we can read history, do a little bit of study. But how do you deal with it? My experience is that if you set up a confrontation, uh, this, when you deal with zealots and extremists, is a pretty good way to provoke more of the same. Uh, it doesn't mean you roll over and do nothing. It doesn't mean one of the other things I experienced out there was 
Admiral, we're glad you're here. We got this problem. Go fix it. Oh, okay. What would you like me to do? I don't know, but just fix it. And by the way, don't start any wars while you're at it. Okay, got that. Not very realistic. But we can fix it, it seems to me. Um, if a country behaves in a manner that isolates it from its neighbors, um, sooner or later it's going to recognize what it's doing to itself. So what we could do, it seems to me, is collectively decide that we're actually going to cooperate to try to affect some change. How do we work together? You got to start, pick an issue, pick a topic, pick an area, and start moving down that road. Uh, there's certainly enough of them that are pretty hot button items, like a potentially nuclear armed Iran. Can't think there are too many folks that think that's a great idea outside of Tehran. That would be pretty common ground. So what's the problem? The problem is the reality, I think, if we assess this fairly, is that we all have our interests and desires. And so far, despite lots of shaking and rattling in the background, this thing doesn't seem to have made it high enough to get people to actually do the things they need to do to cooperate uh, to try to do something about it. There have been sanctions. They've been pretty ineffective, uh, mostly because they're pretty much ignored or undercut when the spirit moves people. Collective, collaborative action could make a difference. This government in Tehran, because of their own actions against their own people, or a lack of activity in a helpful way with their own people, has put themselves, I think, at pretty good risk. I don't think the place is particularly stable politically. Certainly, they have a long list of economic challenges. And uh, so, I've learned that people usually pay attention when a couple of things happen. And one is when somebody reaches into your pants and tries to pull your wallet out, uh, you usually react. And so financial, lots of, lots of opportunities, I think. But we can't just sit around and watch it. And we have to recognize, I believe, that zealous behavior uh, is only going to be contained if we get a majority of folks who think otherwise and decide that they're going to help each other uh, to dissuade the use of that zealotry outside its own boundaries. The last thing I'd like to talk about is energy. And I think that was a topic of some discussion this morning. I believe it's, a, it's really a double-edged blade in this region. I think it distorts relations between countries, not just outside the region, but inside as well. Uh, it's resulted in a lot of competition and certainly a lot of dependencies. It could be a huge force for good. But in many cases, it's caused to sow seeds of even more conflict and friction. So we have this immense resource in the region. But we also have 
large disparities between people, the haves and the have-nots. And there are a lot of people in this region that are not participating in decision-making for themselves or their countries. I think that the multiple effect of great wealth and poverty, of assets and not, of these ongoing conflicts which are easy for people to point out and say, that's a problem, that's a problem, and to have people, particularly the zealots, take people's heads and align them to one side or another of these conflicts, often as a way to get their minds off of other problems. Um, and the resulting disenfranchisement uh, are, is really a ticking time bomb. So you think things, we have some problems now? They could be a lot worse. But I'm not one that wants to dwell on the glass half empty side. Because I think the things, the attributes, the potential, the people have so much going for it that we ought to be able to easily overcome these things. So the, the message I would say to reiterate one more time is uh, let's pack up and get moving and have people, the majority of people, decide that we'll put aside some of these individual desires and wants and needs and work towards some collective security and stability and then we can address some of these other things a little bit later. But we need certainly a more balanced distribution of resources in the region. Uh, we need more cooperation and we need action. But I believe that anything is possible if we decide to put our minds to it. It takes initiative. It takes courage. It takes a bite out of the elephant to get started. But we can, we can really uh, move forward here. So I'd be happy to be done. And uh, if we have time for questions, happy to do that, Dr. Anthony. Thank you, Admiral Fallon. Two other points I neglected to mention in the opening statement was 41 years of service in the United States Navy and 4,800 hours of piloting fighter aircraft. A few more hours than perhaps some here, but uh, that's quite a number of hours up in the sky there. I've asked uh, Admiral Bernson if he might put a question that wasn't uh, covered in terms of uh, specificity of detail uh, by either of the speakers, but it's as contemporary and potentially controversial as any. Admiral Bernson. Well, perhaps one uh, that has a military uh, aspect to it. In the event of an Israeli attack on Iran's nuclear facilities, what would be the likely reaction on the part of Iran, and do they have any military options, such as mining the approaches to the Strait of Hormuz? Well, I wouldn't begin to uh, try to speculate on uh, the actions that, uh, that might be taken. Um, I think that one of the challenges today, and one of the reasons that we seem to be in this uh, continuing spiral of chatter uh, that's not been moving in a positive direction is because of this just insane focus on uh, we're either going to have peace or war, we're going to have a fight, or we're going to have uh, lambs lying down, or just this, this continuum. That's not life. That's not reality. 
This is a really complex region, complex issues, on and on and on. And so um, the soundbite um, mentality uh, leads to these kinds of confrontational uh, issues and discussions and questions, and I know why you ask it. Um, and I think it's, it's really not the way we ought to be going about business. Um, there are some behaviors that are way out of line here. Uh, you can't solve every bad behavior uh, by taking out a big stick and whacking everybody over the head. On the other hand, you certainly can't stand by and uh, allow outrageous behaviors uh, that are not only destabilizing but very harmful to a lot of people. And so we need to collectively, I think, uh, put off some of this egregious extremist kind of talk, uh, just like the extremist actors in some of these uh, conflicts need to put their behavior aside and start trying to figure out how we can work towards some solutions that are going to be better for the majority of people. The nuts and bolts of, you know, can they do this, can they do that, uh, this stuff is the main line of business for the commander in the Middle East, Central Command, General Petraeus. Um, many things are possible. And again, in this, in this particularly charged atmosphere, um, the state of Iran has a lot of problems. And the idea that they are this incredible military power uh, doesn't, doesn't jive very much with the reality that I see. And so uh, can they cause trouble? Yeah, they've sure caused a bunch of it. Uh, but um, there are many ways to, to deal with this that I think could be, uh, could be taken under, in the hand pretty easily. General Al-Ramehi, would you uh, share with us a perspective from the Arab side of the Gulf? Well, uh, in the very beginning, we are not there. Still, uh, we are away from this uh, position. Sorry. Yeah. Um, first of all, we are not there. We are still away from this position that somebody could attack Iran for, especially if we talk about nuclear facilities. The reason was is nuclear weapons, it's not nuclear facilities, as we understand. And I believe there is a stage that we go, <clears throat> we have to go through, like the UN and UN Security Council. At the same time, if there is operations of war, then a lot of options will be open. So we can't say that Iranian will not do this, will not do that. But basically, everybody needs this Detroit to, uh, of Hormuz to be open and especially also the Iranians, because they need also to continue to produce oil and send it out and get back from whatever they can take from other uh, uh, the incomes to develop their economy or to help uh, solving the crisis inside they have. The Gulf countries, actually, they are not for a direct massive uh, operation against Iran. We are for the dialogue. And we believe that dialogue will uh, go ahead and we will achieve uh, something with the Iranian government. So far, they are changing positions nowadays. They are ready for uh, negotiation. And uh, I believe that the uh, United States also engaged in negotiation with the Iranians. We can't imagine uh, that there is a war in, in the Gulf uh, if there is no uh, vital reason to create an operation on one side of the Gulf. So that's very important 
uh, we are not only the partners on producing oil, but we have to understand that since now we are the major producer of oil and gas in the, in the, in the world, I mean the Gulf countries especially, we are also taking care about developments in Europe and Asia, and the war in the Gulf is not going to be an easy, an easy task, especially if it's going to last for long. We have to understand what we are aiming at, what we are going to do, and what is the result on the humanity. And for sure, all the parties, they understand this. And they will plan if there is. It should be also uh, taking care about what overall humanity development, social progress and development in Asia is standing on oil. Europe is standing on oil. They can't progress. And we can't imagine how it will happen if uh, we stop or the route to uh, producing or to exporting oil and ensuring, ensuring and securing the arrival of the crude or the gas into the other side uh, of uh, the developing countries that they need it or the uh, uh, high developing countries like in Europe and the United States that they need it. We just imagine how it's going to be the economy of the world without one month of absence of exportation. This is my answer. Uh, I believe there is another dialogue that should be in between the Arab world and uh, the United States, that how much cooperation we have to create around this issue, especially uh, doing uh, sanctions or creating operations on Iran whether that by incidents or by interventions of one side or by interventions of a coalition. So thank you very much. Thank you, Major General. Thank you, Admiral Fallon. Thank you, Admiral Bernson. Uh, we're at time on this particular